You're listening to Amandla, broadcast on CKUT 90.3 FM on the dial, www.ckut.ca on the internet. I am Sama Elibiari. With us in the studio is Dr. Khalid Madani. He's a professor at McGill University. He teaches both political science and Islamic studies. Tonight, we'll be talking to him about the situation in Sudan. He just came back from Sudan, and I guess you're still under jet lag, Professor Madani. A little bit, yeah. yeah. A little bit, not to... But I'm energized by this interview, so... (laughs) (laughs) Not to talk about the weather, because it's quite a change. That's right, yes. Yes. But I'm also very honored to be on the show. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for being with us. Now, as we understand, the protests began on December 19, over soaring bread prices in Sudan. And this was one of the results of the deep economic crisis that swept through Sudan. And uh, especially after the South seceded in 2011, since the South had most of the wealth, the oil, and it seems that the, the economic situation in the Sudan, which is the north part of the country, went from bad to worse. Uh, in addition to Omar al-Bashir being there for over 30 years. So I guess that people wanted a change. But how did it all start? How was this sparked? Well, um, as you mentioned, um, the context, of course, is uh, uh, three decades of authoritarian rule in the country, uh, led by uh, the military leader, essentially President Omar Bashir. And in the context, or in the in these uh, 30 years, what we've seen in Sudan is an unimaginable kind of wave of violence, uh, not only in the capital, of course, but as your listeners would know, uh, long-standing war in Darfur, in the western part of the country. Uh, we continue to have a conflict in the central part of the country, the uh, uh, the Nuba Mountains, which is in the province of Cote d'Ivoire, in the southern part of the the province, and continued. Uh, violence across the borders with the newly uh, kind of established uh, South Sudan uh, across uh, what is uh, the Blue Nile state. So I wanted to make sure to highlight uh, that the country has been undergoing uh, a great deal of civil conflict and violence for three decades under the helm of Omar Bashir. So that is part of the context. In terms of the present um, uh, protest in Sudan, um, and I just came back as uh, as you mentioned. I was there for three weeks. I just returned this weekend. Um, what we see is something unprecedented and extremely important, not only for Sudan, but it's important potentially for the Horn of Africa uh, and also for the Arab world as well. Not only the African we, continent. We will talk about the international. Yeah. Uh, sure, di- I just di- wanted to give that context. Di- yeah. Dimension. Yes, yes I'm absolutely. so happy you are mentioning yeah. it because yeah. when we think of Sudan, we don't think of much. At least here in Canada, but Sudan has a very important geopolitical uh, situation, especially now that all migrants from uh, the south of Africa, middle Africa, go through Sudan to get to Europe. So now it's gaining even more importance, and we'll talk about the other aspects. But but first, uh, Professor Khalid Madani, I want to ask you about the chants. Uh, The chants were like freedom, peace, Justice. So, c- can yes. you uh, yes. uh, 
explain to us exactly what they would imply because they're, they're similar but a little bit different from the Egyptian slogans which were, was yes. bread, uh, ju social justice. So yes. here we have an additional word freedom and peace. So what would they refer to? Yes, uh, well, the uh, you know, one uh, general slogan that's common to Egypt and the Arab world from the Arab uprising is uh, the people yes. want the fall of the regime. But you highlight something I think is especially important uh, because this slogan that you mentioned um, Freedom, uh, Peace, Justice. Freedom, Peace, Justice um, is uh, very important. It is a slogan that is utilized for uh, a number of reasons, uh, two more important reasons. The first reason is to actually make sure that the public in Sudan knows what the main demands are of the protesters and also to um, establish a call for a democratic transition in which there would be freedom in terms of civil and political liberties, uh, in terms of uh, justice and accountability, and also in terms uh, of uh, just a general well-being and more a secular kind of uh, government. So this is kind of a call for a transition following, of course, the major demand, which is the uh, the overthrow uh, of Omar Bashir himself or the ouster of and the president. And I understand better now the call for peace because you said that there were so many internal conflicts in the country. So may maybe people are tired with those conflicts. Uh Absolutely, it is. Uh, it is also. It is absolutely to emphasize, uh, just as I did at the very beginning, uh, and what people don't always uh, kind of follow is in the uh, the sense or the understanding that the country has witnessed and is witnessing a great deal of civil conflicts across the country. So, in this sense, it is a bit different from some of the Arab uprisings, which were focused very much on the capital city, uh, but really were not as focused uh, in terms of resolving civil conflicts as such. That is, uh, civil wars. Uh, which Sudan has been undergoing for uh, many decades. So we understand the protests uh, started in Atbara, and it's a city in northeastern Sudan, known as a stronghold for anti-government activity. And that's right, yes. Uh, that's at the very heart of the matter. Uh, the, uh, yes, 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 and this is yeah. how it started. But some analysts believe, and I, I think you also mentioned, that beyond the price, the rise in prices and the inflation, people now are wanting want a change in the, in the regime. Yes, um, it's very important to emphasize, um, and this is something that Sudanese would like, uh, that I spoke to recently, and analysts always emphasize, that this comes in on the heels of a number of uh, other protests, most notably in 2011 and 2012 and 2013, uh, which were essentially a prelude to these very large and sustained protests. Uh, the latest wave of protests that you mentioned on December 19th begin in Atbara, in north of the uh, um, of the capital city of Khartoum in the in the province of the River Nile, and you are absolutely right. It's significant uh, for a number of reasons. Number one, uh, it has a long history of uh, unionism uh, and class struggle, uh, even before the uh, pr uh, colonial period. So it is a place where there's a political culture of mobilization and organization. And so when the the price of bread uh, skyrocketed uh, uh, because of the implementation of austerity measures on the part of the government, it's no uh, coincidence that 
it was Akbara, uh, this city that rose up in rebellion. Uh, following that, of course, quickly you had uh, a, a wave of protests, not uh, only in the capital, but in uh, Gadarif, um, which is south of the capital, and Port, uh, Sudan. and Port Sudan. So all in all now we have seven states, uh, seven states where you have a wave of protest. Over 40 uh, protests uh, have been uh, you know, witnessed or have been conducted by these uh, demonstrators across seven states throughout the country. And that's really significant. Another thing that is very significant is Be that these are northern you, states. You, you, you mentioned yeah. the other thing. Sure. I want to go back to the dates. You mentioned 2011, 2012 sure. and 13. Sure. This was at the time where the Arab Spring swept uh, Egypt, Tunis, uh, yes. even <clears throat> Syria. And, and Sudan didn't seem to move. So suddenly, mm -hmm. after so many years, when you mentioned those dates, was it something that happened in Sudan, like small rebellions? Or you, you mentioned the, the what happened, the protest in the Arab world, in the other oh, countries? Uh, well, you know, uh, from the Sudanese perspective, uh, when, uh, when one uh, talks about uh, the history of popular protest, uh, Sudanese always like to uh, remind, uh, especially those in the Arab world, that uh, there have been a history of popular intifadas uh, since the 1960s, 1964, and then again in 1985 that overthrew military regimes. But uh, absolutely, the 2011 protests in Sudan were much smaller and centralized in the capital city in general, in, uh, in the in Khartoum, um, and they were very much, uh, they very much followed uh, um, the, the Arab uprisings, first in Tunis or Tunisia and then in Egypt. But 2012 is uh, even more important for what we're talking about today. In Sudan. Uh, yes, in yes. the summer of 2012, you had really important and wide-scale protests uh, in Khartoum and in a number of different states as well. And this was a result of the uh, implementation of, of uh, austerity measures that were promoted or uh, agreed upon with the IMF and the World Bank. That led, of course, to the removal of subsidies. It led to a number of other measures that really uh, posed a great deal of hardship right away, including, of course, the devaluation of the Sudanese currency. And so it was really 2012 where people really began to uh, protest against, uh, number one, this implementation of economic austerity uh, in the context of a very corrupt regime. And so uh, it is really 2012 that begins the wave that has been sustained uh, first in 2013, where you had 200 people killed in the capital by security forces uh, for protesting, again, the implementation of austerity measures. And now, of course, uh, the latest wave, which is far more expansive in terms of uh, its geographical reach, but also far more sustained. Four weeks is unprecedented in the history of the yes, Sudan. Yes, in spite of the ruthless repression of the regime, there's still uh, we're talking about 40 people killed here. Absolutely. 40 and, people, over mm -hmm. 2,000 arrested. And uh, even um, uh, just to bring it home to those living in Canada, of course, even a Canadian uh, or a brother of a Canadian fam uh, um, uh, a Sudanese living in Alberta was also killed who joined the protest. He was on holiday. So uh, it is affecting uh, Sudanese throughout the, uh, in Sudan and, of course, uh, diasporic Sudanese abroad as well. Oh, I'm very sorry to hear that. In fact, some of the analysts say 
that now the situation is open to all possibilities. Like, we don't know what's going to happen next. What is your feeling? How serious are those protests? Well, I'd prefer to answer that by talking about uh, the main umbrella group that is calling for uh, the ouster of Bashir uh, and what their perspective is. Um, there are two very important, unprecedented uh, aspects of these protests that maybe your listeners uh, would be interested in knowing. Number one, as I mentioned, is that they're unprecedented in terms of their sustainability uh, and also in terms of their geographic reach. Um, in uh, the second week of the protests, or rather, I'm sorry, the second week of January, you had protests in Darfur, in the westernmost part of the country that has been undergoing civil conflict and, of course, an insurgency, as, as many listeners know. This hasn't really happened before since uh, most uh, protests in the past have been centralized in Khartoum. Uh, but another very important aspect is the coordination on organizational structure of these protests. What we've seen is the emergence of the Sudanese Professional Association, which, which is an umbrella of uh, unions in Sudan. And what they want is the ouster of Bashir, and they predict, from their perspective, that what would follow would be four years of a transition in which uh, different parties and other groups would uh, hammer out a draft constitution to oversee uh, the transition to multi-party democracy in the country. Well, in, in fact, I see titles like should uh, Omar Bashir be worried? And I'm, I'm a little bit more conservative on this after what we've seen with uh, Bashar al-Assad in Syria. I mean, at one time we thought he was absolutely finished. And uh, today, apparently, some Arab uh, countries are warming up to him. So uh, it's, a, it's a little bit difficult to predict what's going to happen in the Middle East. But yes. you mentioned the coordination between the uh, protest groups. How is this taking place? I'm, I'm recalling that in Egypt, the social media played a vital role. I mean, people were communicating through Facebook and uh, they outsmart the officials who, who just didn't have the, the technology to communicate so, so quickly and so widely. So what? What is happening in Sudan? You know, I was asked only yesterday uh, for an interview for um, a station in California, in Berkeley, California, This, uh, what, what is the similarities of these to the Arab Spring uprisings in Egypt and elsewhere. And one of the things I highlighted was the use of social media. Uh, there has been a great deal of learning, a learning curve, so to speak, and the utilization of so social media is really ingenious in the Sudan. Uh, the government immediately, as you know from from reading on the, in, of the events, uh, shut down what WhatsApp, um, you know, in, um, Twitter, uh, all of the, and Facebook, of course, all of these social media platforms. And what protesters have done, almost in preparation for this kind of measure, is to use virtual private networks. Uh, and that has been very successful, uh, especially since the Sud Sudanese Professional Association has been calling repeatedly for different protests in different parts of the country. So it has played a central role in the coordination of these, uh, of the mobilization of these demonstrators. And again, uh, Dr. Kherid the protesters are union groups and are, are there opposition to the government? I mean, parties, opposition parties as we would know them. Of course, in a dictatorial regime, the opposition is never very strong and never very functional. But nonetheless, do you think th there is some now consolidating? 
some parties? Absolutely. I think it's very important to uh, uh, debunk a, an important myth about these demonstrate demonstrations. Much of the coverage on these demonstrations uh, really depict them as uh, spontaneous. Uh, and they are no, by no means spontaneous. And what I mean by that is that it is unions uh, uh, under the umbrella of the Sudanese professional associations. These are lawyers, doctors, and engineers, and teachers in particular, but also pharmacists who have uh, not only organized these protests, but have designed the outcome of these protests. So Thursday, there's a protest scheduled uh, as a prelude to um, a general strike uh, across the country. And so that's very important. The other side of the equation are traditional political parties. Uh, these are grouped in two umbrella groups, uh, the, um, one that is led by the Communist Party and other leftist parties, and something called the, the Sudan Call, which uh, is a group of the traditional dominant parties of the past, the Ummah Party in Sudan, the Democratic Unionist Party, uh, and those are very uh, kind of important political parties that are uh, have already joined in uh, the demonstrations and in alliance with uh, the Sudanese Professional Association and the demonstrators. So uh, now this perhaps covers for the moment the internal situation. I'd like to move to the international response because we have some surprises here. So uh, just to recall, Sudan was long isolated by the U.S. economic and trade sanctions. They were imposed in 1997, shortly after the country harbored Osama bin Laden. And those sanctions were lifted in 2017. Uh, Bashir has sought better relations with the U.S. by offering security cooperation and has also courted Russia. He has sent troops to shore up a Saudi Arabia-led alliance, trying to curb the Iranian influence in Yemen. So, so here we, we see that there, there is a geopolitical aspect to, uh, to Mr. Bashir. However, Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates have been slow to deliver aid to Sudan because they're a little bit of suspicious of uh, Mr. Bashir's alliance with the Gulf uh, rival Qatar and also with Turkey. What is surprising is that apparently the government in South Sudan has supported Bashir against the protest, and I couldn't understand why. Oh, well, first of all, you summarize the regional dynamics in the Arab world vis-a-vis -vis Sudan so well. Uh, that's, that's really terrific. Uh, South Sudan, um, I want to be very clear that civil society groups in South Sudan have clearly, if you look at the coverage closely, have supported the demonstrators and have been vehemently opposed to uh, the kind of media blackout that is occurring on South Sudan as a result of uh, Salva Kiir's government there. Uh, the main reason South, the South Sudanese government, if not uh, the civil society in South Sudan, is supporting Bashir is because uh, recently, as you probably know, there was an agreement signed between Bashir, Uganda, and uh, outside actors, the Western actors, to uh, uh, sustain uh, this peace agreement in South Sudan. And so uh, Salva Kiir, the president of South Sudan, is very, very concerned that this agreement would uh, break apart if Bashir did not support it. Essentially, Bashir has a veto, so to speak, on this agreement uh, that has given Salva Kiir kind of uh, a more kind of lease on life, so to speak, in South Sudan. But, but civil society in South Sudan and some of the rebel groups uh, are in support of the demonstrators and have come out clearly to state that. So uh, to mention other countries, not surprisingly, Egypt is supporting Bashir. Uh, I'm surprised by Qatar. China and Russia are also supporting him. 
Yes, they are. Egypt, of course, the government, uh, there are very few Arab governments that, as you know, uh, that ever support popular uprisings or these calls for democracy. Of course. Yes. <laughs> But I looked because I was prepared for this interview. And so I looked at some of the Egyptian coverage and, of course, talked to many Egyptian friends. And it's very important to emphasize the, that civil society groups uh, are very much in support of what is uh, the demonstrators. There's no question about that. Uh, that's really important. Uh, the other countries, China, of course, has economic interest, if not so much oil anymore, but a lot of, some investment in South Sudan, investment, and of course, yes. they're interested in, uh, of course, and they have this uh, idea that uh, no uh, country's sovereignty should not be undermined. But what's interesting, all of this you know, uh, probably many listeners know, but what's interesting at the moment is that Bashir has been um, unable to really generate financial assistance from these so-called supporters and allies. And one of the main reasons, in a nutshell, is that he has uh, gone from one country or one regional alliance bloc to another uh, to try to cultivate support, first to Qatar, then to Saudi Arabia. Uh, also, Turkey is involved in the Sawakin and the Port Sudan area and has many investments in Sudan. And as a result, uh, these countries are no longer sure who, what side Bashir is on. Uh, and that has, at this point, left him uh, in, in trouble in terms of... High and dry. Kind of, uh, high and dry. <laughs> we'll see how it occurs in the next few weeks. But so far, he's un been un unable to generate a beyond rhetorical support, the kind of financial support that he has promised his population, you know, to increase wages and deal with the economic crisis. J just for the record, the United Kingdom, Norway and the United States, as well as Canada, have issued a statement. They said they continue to be deeply concerned about the government of Sudan's response to the recent protests in Sudan and the detention without charge or trial of a number of political activists and protesters. So uh, just a very mildly worded declaration in, in support of uh, human rights and so on. How, how far do you think this will carry the day? Oh, I think I'm deeply disappointed by the statement of the Troika and, of course, uh, joined by Canada, uh, supporting, of course, naturally, as human rights organizations should, and governments, um, you know, or, you know, trying to uh, limit uh, and stop the kind of human rights violations ongoing is a good thing, of course. Uh, but they have been very reluctant to come up and uh, strongly criticize the Bashir regime. Each one has their own interest. I'm not exactly sure why Canada joined in this particular kind of alliance, but uh, um, the United States has its interest in terms of continuing uh, Sudan's support in counterterrorism measures from their perspective. Uh, you have the European Union, as you mentioned earlier on, has essentially signed a treaty with Bashir in order to stop immigration of Africans, especially from Sub-Saharan Africa to Europe. Uh, that's another important uh, regional interest. Um, so this notion of a stable or uh, Omar Bashir regime seems to be in the interest of these governments, uh, which is, of course, in stark uh, contradiction or in uh, stands in the way of the demands and the life chances of the Sudanese population. I, right I, now. I'm sure we'll have to talk a lot. We can talk a lot about this subject, Dr. Khalid Mandani. We're so uh, privileged to have you with us. Uh, however, before I let you go, okay. I'd like you to talk about your new program at McGill. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, it's not actually a new program. It's the African Studies program. It's the it's the it has the it's the oldest one in Canada, and I just wanted to make 
make sure that your listeners is out there who are listening, uh, McGill students and others, that there is a, a very strong African studies program. We have a number of courses. They can contact me personally to know, but also they can just simply go into the website of the Institute for Development Studies and, and there's a whole uh, kind of description of the program, requirements, courses available. And I wanted to make sure to emphasize that we have new pro uh, professors on board <coughs> lecturing and teaching new classes on, on Africa. And we're hoping to expand that into uh, a lecture series uh, next academic year that would make sure to bring uh, African scholars to speak here at McGill. Dr. Khalid Madani, thank you so much for being with us. This is all what our time allows us today for this subject, but we hope we'll be talking to you soon. Shukran jazeel and thank you so much. It's Shukran. been an honor. Thank you.